Okay, back here with my buddy, Senator Bill Wilikowski. How you doing, Bill? I'm doing great. Good to be here, Jeff. We would not be here if uh, the Senate just didn't recess um, regarding this transgender girls in sports bill that um, you had, you and your folks, Democrats and the minority, had a bunch of amendments for, and then Revac and Vadimhoff were gone, and then Reinbold said she wasn't feeling well or something, and then because of that, you guys, you guys basically had the votes to get stuff passed. You know, I don't know why they they put it off. Um, I, I the bill's not going anywhere. It's um, it's unconstitutional according to our attorneys. There's federal guidance saying it's illegal. There's a legislative legal opinion saying it's unconstitutional. It violates multiple provisions of the state constitution. I mean, I mean, zero, zero, if, even even if it were to pass the Senate right now with ten, seven days left, you know, and with the House the way it is, zero chance it goes anywhere in the House. But it's really about, I mean, really, it's about we want want this bill people on record for the election. It's kind of a culture war thing, right? This is something people are talking, even though, and you pointed out, um, this has ne- never in Alaska come up yet. That's what I've been told. It's never come up in Alaska. And in fact, I pointed this out on the floor. Similar bills passed in Utah and in Indiana, very conservative states, and with Republican governors, and the Republican governors in those states vetoed similar legislation mm-hmm. because it's unconstitutional. And also... This bill has a provision in it that would possibly bankrupt smaller school districts because it requires, it says you can file a lawsuit against the school district and the way they wrote it, they wrote it wrong. So it actually allows a transgender student to file a lawsuit against a school district when their rights are violated because they're following state law. If this Mm -hmm. were to pass, it could bankrupt millions of dollars that could bankrupt small school districts all across Alaska. And you had yesterday an amendment on basically taking the bill and saying, look, it's up to the school districts. It's like a local control issue. Right. And that got 10 vote, 10, 10. Right. We were one vote short. That, right. I mean. Which would have probably changed the whole kind of bill itself, wouldn't it? Well, we'd be done. We we would be done with the bill, quite frankly. We wouldn't have run any of these other amendments. But, you know, take bills that are before you very seriously. I mean, I think that's our obligation as legislators is I I know, I think everybody understands this bill is going nowhere. It's going to die in the House. And uh, I don't know why we're spending, you know, here we are in the last couple of days of session, we have huge, huge issues and we're spending, this is our second day now on this. And it's, I mean, I'm not, I, I've, I've said this before and you know, I, I think there's, there's a real concern about, you know, men, biological men or boys competing with women. I think a lot of people, if this was in the ballot booth, it probably would get 80%, but this isn't about that. I think it's more about the culture war and about, you know, when you're running for election, you entered, somebody introduced a bill or, or somebody voted against it, and we we want to we want to go after them, you know, with with their opponent. So I think it's a lot more to do with that than it is with the issue itself. You know, I don't, I don't want to cast aspersions on why anybody would bring this. We're, forward we're not in Jeff, the chamber but, here, buddy. You right. <laughs> <laughs> but um, I think people know it's not going anywhere, and it's taken up a lot of time. It's taking up a lot of energy. I think you know we've got important things that we should be discussing, and like I said, this. We have multiple, multiple opinions saying that this bill is unconstitutional. It's it's an issue that has never happened in the state of Alaska, as far as I know. I mean, we've been told that repeatedly. This has never happened. I mean, it all just goes back to that that Leah Thomas situation a few months ago, and that's where it really all came from. And then um, now it's you know become kind of a national culture war issue. You know, I, I 
look, we take an, when we get sworn in, we don't take an obligation to, you know, pass legislation that's politically popular or oppose it if it's politically unpopular. We, we pass legislation that follows the Constitution. That's the oath that we take as legislators is to is to uh, uphold the Constitution of the state and of the I federal mean, you, government. You guys, you, you, you all take those oaths, and, and that's yeah. and that's good. But, I mean, what I've kind of figured out is, like, end of the day, like, it's just how you feel. People, if they feel something's good, and they don't really give a shit. I mean, the abortion stuff, it's been pretty clearly over the years, the abortion funding, public funds for abortions. But, like, people just don't give a shit. They feel it's wrong, and they say, I feel this way, and I think that's in my Constitution. You know, it's like it doesn't <laughs> – they take the oath, right? But there's no penalty for vote – passing a bill that's super unconstitutional, right? Well, I have an amendment that would change that if we continue on this. Because I think I think if you are a legislator and you, and you, you know, we saw this with the governor, right? We saw the governor uh, um, when he fired people for refusing to take an, a loyalty oath, the court said, you lose your qualified immunity and you can get sued personally in your own personal And that, and that was when they removed the, the half a million dollars or whatever for the settlement he Agreed yeah. to a state money. That's right, and it got pulled out. And so, and so, you it's know, still out, isn't it? So, didn't get put back in, did it? I don't think so. So there's precedents out there for you know for saying if if you as if you as an elected official knowingly violate someone's constitutional rights, you know, and look, I understand that these might be politically popular, but again, we take an oath to the office. So does the governor. And and what the court held in that case was if a governor knowingly violates someone's constitutional rights, he loses his qualified immunity. And I, and I think if you had a law in the books like that for legislators, that might change the way people act. That might change people from violating their oaths. How do you prove they, I mean, I guess if somebody on the record said it and it was clear they knew, I guess that'd be the way to the courts would decide. It's, it's, uh, it's not an easy burden. And I think the burden should be high. I don't think you should. I Look, I understand that there's differences in opinions and, and that people you know, feel very strongly about issues. But when you have the Supreme Court saying something's unconstitutional, when you have district court saying it's unconstitutional, when you have your own attorney saying it's unconstitutional, and it, it is rare. It's extremely rare. In fact, that finding piercing the immunity for the governor and holding the governor and his chief of staff personally liable, that has, I don't think that's ever happened in the history of the state of Alaska. In fact, someone was saying that's never happened in the country. That is an extraordinarily rare event. It's an extremely high burden. But I think if legislators... Governors knowingly violate. That's a high burden. Someone would have to mm-hmm. prove that in court. If they knowingly violate, why should, you know, and you violate somebody's constitutional rights, why shouldn't you be responsible? Yeah, no, that that's, makes makes it more. That's the oath that it, we take. It, it would make that it, is our one obligation. It would make people think maybe a little little more. You know, if you're, it, it, if you're if you're negligent, if you're reckless, you're not responsible. But if you, if you know that it's unconstitutional and you violate someone's rights, why? You know, how, how is that right? How is mm-hmm. that the right thing to do? Well, um, I want to go into this whole budget thing that happened yesterday for two days in the Senate. And I've been tweeting about it and I've written about it a little bit. But I mean, I, I really want to just talk about it with somebody. You were elected in 06. You were in the majority for some time in the coalition. So you've been in both. You've been yeah. for, for a while, 10 years in the minority. But you were in the majority. But but we're in a situation now since the last election where this has been widely reported by me and others, there's really not a, a real majority in the sense of what that used to mean um, in the Senate because because every last year we saw this, the budget only passed with 11 votes and three of them were minority Democrats. So so we hear a lot about Senator Schauer, for example, the binding caucus, and they're really mad about that. So so right now I've kind of, as Click Bishop described it to me, as a shit show free-for-all, that was his quote yesterday. Um, it's just 
I want to get your take on what happened yesterday and how how wild some of the things were, and if you would have ever even imagined that, you know, when you were in the majority. Well, so I, w- I was in the majority for six years. We had a bipartisan uh, majority, and it was the first bipartisan majority in, in the legislature in, in se- probably two decades or more. And, um, and so w- what we did at that time was we had ex- extremely conservative Republicans and all the Democrats. So we had, uh, at the time, it was nine Democrats and six Republicans, or maybe even seven, six or seven. And, and so it was, you know, very evenly split, or, you know, slightly... Uh, you know, a little, closer to little bit, a uh, little bit skewed towards Democrat majority, but, but still it was a, you know, bipartisan group and, and uh, yeah, we had budget issues and, you know, what we agreed at the time was, look, we're, we're going to, we're going to focus on the issues that Alaskans are interested in. We're going to focus on, on trying to grow our savings, which we did. We grew our savings $16 billion. We're going to pass, you know, ethics laws. We're going to ethics reforms. We're going to pass um, uh, some good criminal justice reform. And we passed some really good legislation at the time. And we, we took off, these, you guys took the social culture took the war social stuff. culture war stuff out, right? Because they're so divisive, and, and you're seeing that on the floor with this, you know, with this bill. They're just too divisive. I mean, people feel extremely passionate, and really, should government be weighing in on these sorts of things on a state level? You know, th- that's why we elect local school boards to do these things on, on the local level. But, but yeah, you know, we we definitely had these issues, and and we had, uh, you know, but we came together with with a, a philosophy of we're going to do what's best for the state, and. And, and it worked great. And, and you know, um, I, Johnny Ellis was uh, a mentor of mine. And, and every time we would go on the floor, he would say, vote your conscience. Every time. And we'd go in caucus. We'd meet. He'd say, vote, vote your conscience. And we'd go out there. And, uh, and I never felt uncomfortable voting. And I voted, you know, for every budget. And, yeah, they would, the other side would run amendments and try to make things uncomfortable. But, but you come together as a group and you're like, this is a philosophy. And you, and you have to understand that. You know, you may have to vote down some amendments because you're uncomfortable, because you, you recognize if you have a caucus that's not, that doesn't agree on the budget as a whole, then things well, can and, and blow I think, up. And, and I, I think people hear this term, and, and Senator Shower was one of the vocal people over the years, this binding caucus, and they think it means you have to vote, basically your, vote, your vote's controlled for everything. And really what it means is on the final last vote on the budget, after all the amendments, after everything's the subcommittee and the finance committee and all these things happen, you're saying, look, we're going to, we're going to pass the final product. And then usually procedural things where, you know, you want to kind of hope uphold the ruling of the chair on procedural issues. And um, now we've just seen that totally out the window. I mean, yesterday, two things happened that were fascinating. There was an amendment from Senator Olson, your, your colleague in the minority about this port money for Anchorage port, Nome port and some money for the Valley, some roads. So it was almost $400 million total. Bishop and Stedman, Senators Bishop and Stedman, the co-chairs of the Finance Committee, who are supposed to be in charge of the budget, they both spoke very ardently against it, for not because of the projects, but because of the money. And then it, go, it goes to the vote, and it goes 12 to 8, and then Revac voted for He was kind of his staff for helping out with it, and he even said the budget's too. He ended up voting against the budget, but he votes for the amendment. And Michiki was one of them, and it's all over the place, minority and majority. So, I mean, the two Senate co- Finance co-chairs having their Senate president and several of their majority members voting against their recommendation on a major budget item. To me, I don't think that's ever happened. It's unheard of. It, it, and certainly not in the Senate. I mean, it, it's the Senate's supposed yeah. to be the calm, right. Deliberative, right. Deliberative kinda. body. Right. In theory. Uh, I, I can't recall that happening in the Senate um, that, that you had, you know, normally you'll go in on a budget bill 
And there might be, look, we, you know, we missed this project or we missed this, you know, important uh, sort of funding is- issue for, that we need to fund. And for usually but not very much money. Usually not very much money, right? Or, or if it is something big, it's something that we all agree on, you know, or the, you know, the vast majority of people agree on. It's, and it almost never happens. I can't remember it happening where you, where you basically roll the finance chairs. I can't remember that happening. And then you got Senator Costello, who's the majority whip, who's, whose job is purportedly to, you know, kind of whip the votes and make sure things are, are um, she kind of keeps control of things, supposed to be. She's introducing, I think it was eight amendments for capital projects in her district because she obviously wasn't getting them into the capital budget because, and then we should go back, back up the operating budget past the house and then Bert Stedman and Click, they threw the capital and the supplemental into the operating budget, which made it very contentious. But she's running floor. So usually the minority are the one, you're, you were, you're in the minority a long time. You guys run these amendments kind of, these kind of like, screw you, we're going to make you vote on this stuff, amendments, and they, they just vote them down, vote them down. But now all the amendments are coming from the majority members, Shower and Hughes and Holland. There's, there's only, I mean, the big minority one was the Donnie Olson um, port money, and, but that was agreed upon before. I mean, that was part of the, 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 you know, the negotiation. It doesn't, it, it's rare. It's extremely rare. And, and the reason it's rare is because you need to have some sort of structure in place so that it's not a free-for-all on the floor. And, and the reason you don't want it to be a free-for-all on the floor is because here's what happens. Somebody gets a project in that they, you know, project in their district, and then, and then you know, the finance committee hasn't agreed to it, and then they get in it, they get it in. And then somebody else from another region is, you know, we're all sent here to represent our districts. And if somebody else is getting an, you know, inordinate amount for their district, well, guess what? My job is to fight and get funding for my district and, and for my constituents. And so what you see is this gradual escalation at some point, And that's what you saw happen with the budget, I think, was just this gradual escalation. And I mean, and I think the, the to- a, a huge budget. The, the total amendments ended up being like $2 billion. Yeah. With, with the $400 million for the ports and then the two, you know, the extra dividend. I mean, this is insane. I mean, this is 20, you know, 20% of the budget or something is 25% of the budget's done well, on the floor. We knew the dividend, we knew the dividend was going to be the issue. I mean, it always is. And this is why I've been saying, look, we've got to get the dividend off the table. And the only way you do that is by constitutional amendment. I've said that for well, years. And, and the dividend thing was another way. It's funny. We were just walking over here. We were in the elevator and Senator Von Imhoff gets, you know, she has something and we all get on the elevator together. And I made the joke if it'd be fascinating if this elevator got stuck. Um, but she was not here uh, two days ago. And that's why the dividend, full dividend passed because it was 10-9. It's a majority present for amendments. So if she would have been here, it would have been 10-10. So her not being here created the situation that we're in now with, with you know, a lot of people are mad and some people are happy, but it's the full dividend, 4,300 almost, plus the 1,300 rebate. Um, and it's just because, you know, one person wasn't here and now, now that, that happened. And, and this is, you know, to provide stability for the people of Alaska, to provide stability for, you know, the government, the finance committee. I think, you know, you, this is why you need it in the, in the Constitution. Because here, here's what's happened. The last six years, the last five, you know, since 2016, the dividends changed every year. And it's been a quarter of what the statute says, half of what the statute says, a third of what the statute says. And so the people have become frustrated and legislators have become frustrated. And here we go. There's an opportunity to get more than what the statute says. And so th- this is what will happen. And this is what I've been saying for years is you are going to have extraordinarily unpredictable amount. I mean, what do we have last year? $1,400, you know, $5,500 dividend. No, I think it was year. less than that. It was maybe, yeah, $1,100. I don't remember exactly what it was. $1,114, yeah. something like that. I mean, you're going to have a, 
now right now a fifty five hundred dollar dividend. That that's what will happen unless you put this in the constitution. What do you what do you, do you what do you think the the fifty fifty or what do you what would you want in the constitution? Because a lot of people think that when you start to you know enshrine that, then if there's other problems in your your well, you know I, pensions or or other th- you know public employees, you know education. Yeah, I mean you know I you know. <laughs> I've got a little different position, I think, from many people. I this, the statutes on the books, and, and you know, we we went through the oil tax initiative last year, and the oil companies promised they were going to save the dividend if you didn't vote for their initiative. Did you when you and, when you talked about that, and you held up the sign, and I don't know <laughs> about the rules about props, but Machiki stopped you, and then you kept going, he stopped you again, and it was kind of humorous, but then it became not humorous. And um, do you get upset when you're not allowed to? I mean, are there rules on prop? I don't know how the rules are. Can you hold up a sign? Or he said you have to pass it out to all the desks or something. I would have gladly passed it out. I mean, he's right. There's no props. And, um, although it wasn't a prop, it was just, it was a sign. It was, you know, what they said. And so when, once he said that, I just read it. It was no difference. Mm-hmm. I just read it. What did but I say? Um, something it about said, uh, PF- vote no on one, uh, save jobs and save the PFD. And, uh, and so, so that's my <laughs> feeling is, okay, well, we voted no last year. Uh, oil companies, uh, you promised to save the PFD. Uh, you didn't promise to save half the PFD. You didn't promise to save a quarter of PFD. You promised to save the PFD. And so I, I have always said, look, you got to fix oil tax. Yeah, there, there are two things that need to be fixed, oil taxes and the PFD. They, well, you, and they go hand in glove. And you had a couple of amendments for that yesterday. Yeah. And that's something else I want to talk about that happened that was after this Stedman and Bishop got rolled by many of their own majority members, including the Senate president on, on the port money. Uh, then you had, an, I think you had two. One was for the per barrel credit, and then one was for the cashable credits we owe, right? Is that right? Right. So, you know, I don't know, not to get too technical, but yeah, last year we put in $54 million into the budget for refundable oil tax credits. In other words, we wrote checks for $54 million to the oil industry. We were only supposed to write checks for for like $39 million. So the, we actually- the, These are the, the ones we already agreed to pay that have been on the books for- the one, on the books the, the forever. One that Walker tried to get bonding for. The, the statute says they're purely discretionary. We can fund them or not, depending on whether we have money. For years, we've always funded. But last year, we funded them according to the, the, what the statute recommends. And, 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 and I think we should definitely pay our obligations. But um, and you pointed this out, and it's true. These are almost entirely going to banks. Oh yeah, that's something that pe- people stand up and, and like. You know, look, I think we should pay our obligations. That's a bad thing not to you know pay them off, but. Um, it is going to, I mean, there, wasn't there a bunch of Dutch bankers here a couple of years ago? A couple of years ago, I had a few Dutch and they bankers. they come to your office. Came, in, came into my office. <laughs> Hello, and, Bill. We want and the, they, uh, <laughs> Yeah, and they were like, we need these, you know, and I'm like, well, is this going to get reinvested in Alaska? I mean, it's just going back to, to, uh, to you know, Denmark or the Netherlands or somewhere, I don't know, somewhere, and uh, to the banks there, and it's not going to be reinvested in Alaska. And and I asked him, I said, look, you know, you guys are pretty smart. You're pretty sophisticated. When you, when you gave these out, you surely read the statute, which said these are discretionary, and We've actually paid according to the statute for the vast majority subject of years. to appropriation. Subject right? to appropriation, man. I know that. That's so, the dividend. So then you did the other so, one about. I think this was the per barrel credit, right? Yeah, um, I did a per barrel credit, and that would have. Which uh, I think it's right now. It's not to get too in the weeds, but it's eight dollars over a certain price. Nine hundred and fifty-two million dollars, or, or below a certain tax credits. Below a certain price, eight dollars, right? Yep, nine hundred and fifty-two million dollars this coming year. Um, and, uh, yeah, I ran an amendment that would have saved $952 million. That would have balanced the budget. And, and then, and then to, 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 to get, in my words, very loose, there's a bill apparently SB 107, which I don't even, I mean, I don't think it's never had a hearing, so I don't even, on my radar, but it's in Revax resources committee yeah. and, and rule is a rule 48. There's a rule that, you know, the way, the way it's supposed to work for the folks listening, a bill gets introduced, the Senate president or the speaker sign it to the committees, which they're in charge of because they have the majority, 
and then their majority hears or doesn't hear they pass it out right based on their because it majority rules right but you can just there's a rule where it says you because what i learned around this place is there's all no matter what there's always a side door or a back door no matter what it's and like, it, you it's have to like, know where they are it's like 30 dimensional chess I like mean, you have to you have to know the rules you have to know the procedures i mean there's things that you've been around and i think you pay attention to this closer than most people but some people just have no clue about if you do this they don't have the they don't have the understanding of the implications of that or you can do this instead or okay they can do this but we can do this or there's always another way around it so so you based on this rule you moved to discharge the bill from the resources committee which i think revac said there was a hearing scheduled and and you stood up and said we've never had a hearing um and you know i don't know how many times i've seen this attempted before i don't know if i've ever seen a bill discharged from committee just on the floor without anybody even thinking about it before or talking about it and and it got discharged yeah from resource which doesn't matter because it's still got to go to finance it's not going to go anywhere but the, but the, the but but the but i mean the, the the symbolism and then bert and click who got rolled before by revac voting for the port money they voted to discharge it it was maximum loose it was maximum loose. <laughs> i mean it was i think it got 13 it's, votes it's yeah it, it's it's pretty rare i mean it's, did, did you think i mean did rare. you honestly when you did that did you think it was going to get dis- discharged i thought i might have a chance actually because because it was so because because i you know i ran the amendment and 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 the, the the co-chair of the committee said well you can't you know we can't do this amendment because it hasn't been heard because there's a bill similar to this and it hasn't been heard in committee and it needs to be heard in committee. It needs to be vetted in committee. And then I pointed out, well, it's been in your committee for over a year. Have you asked for a hearing? Yeah, of course. So today I noticed resources was canceled. All the bills got, and there were some bills up today. One of my other bills, one of my other tax. So he probably bills. canceled it because he's pissed off that the bill got disturbed. I don't know. He took, he's got an excused absence for the rest of the week. But I mean, I, you know, who knows? Maybe I'll try to discharge that bill too. Oh man. It's just, it's just this kind of, I mean, and this is what, you know, for the phone and most people don't watch this stuff very closely. So it's not like on people's radars, but I mean, there, there, there needs to be order. And right now, I'd say there's no order in the Senate. You know, it's, it's the thing about democracy, right? And I, I, would, I would equate it to, you, you got a, you know, for years, I think, people have felt like there's this, there's this pot of water. There's this bubbling, boiling pot of oil. It's been simmering very slow, and you got a, you got a lid on it. And then if you let it simmer too long, it's going to bubble over. I mean, this is the thing about government, and this is the thing about you know, you see in countries, I mean, things bubble out and, and you can only keep that lid for so long. And like you said, people will find a way to do things. And that's what happened on the port. Amendment. For example, it started with, oh, closer you know, to the mic there. started with uh, the port of Anchorage. People wanted funding for the port of Anchorage. And then Senator Olson wanted funding for the port of Nome. And so, you know, he cobbling together votes to get it. And then it's like, well, Matsu wants money for their roads. And so, you know, that's, that's what ha- it bubbled over. And, and, th- and this is really all, all because, um, the, the finance committee, Stedman and Bishop, put the capital and supplemental budget into the operating budget, which which means all this stuff basically had to happen on this um, Senate floor because once it goes back to the House, where, where it's at right now, they can just vote up or down. They can't. So the House in this case has no input into the capital projects unless they were to go on the, the Senate floor because because not, not that much got put in that they wanted in the Senate Finance Committee. The House has always been free to pass their own capital budget. The, the problem that... The they, actually, they actually should have done that last right. week. That's probably what they should have done in retrospect. But the, yeah, the problem the House is they have, a, you know, on any given day, if they're lucky, they have a one-vote majority, right? So, so they need everybody there. And then uh, it's, a time, it's a timing issue. And this is what happens when you wait too long in your budgets. Then, you know, for them to get a budget through the House Finance Committee, it's a capital budget, it's like probably a, a day or two of amendments. It's like, well, you got to give notice 
So people do their amendments, then you got to give another day or two for them to get their amendments done. And then you've got to have the two days of amendments on in the committee, and then it goes to the floor, and then it's got to be in second reading, and then it's got to, you know, your 87 amendments that are going to take mm-hmm. four or five days. So it's a timing issue. And um, and this is the problem that they're having in the House. This is a problem when you... Well, why, why didn't, I mean, the, the House passed the operating budget April 9th. And I mean, I think it's safe to say, Bert and Click, they, they waited... Because the more you wait, you go against the clock, and then in some cases the clock is your friend. But, but I mean, when it became you know end of April, I'm I'm, I'm just puzzled why the house didn't start saying, well, screw, it. we're gonna we're gonna because we because I I had written maybe three week two weeks ago I said this they're gonna combine the budgets. I mean, you knew about that. This was like yeah. this was being talked about, um, and they didn't pass their cap. So by them passing their capital budget, they send it over, and they kind of put more pressure on them and saying, here's what here's our capital budget. And, you know, you put a, and the house would have been in that situation where, and they recognize this if they, you know, I think what they thought in the house was, well, let's uh, try to come up with some kind of agreement with the Senate where we can agree on what capital projects are important to us. The Senate can just put them in, they can send it back to us. And then, so once, once a budget, so what happened was the house passed the operating budget. They put in one capital project that came to the Senate. So then that leaves it, leaves the Senate with the ability to load up capital projects in it, which is what we did. If, if we come to agreement with the House on what projects should be in there, then it goes back to the House. And you're right, that, there's no debate at that point on, well, you can't have amendments. You certainly have debate. And, and that's where we're at right now. And, uh, and so, yeah, the House could have, could they have passed a capital budget? Absolutely. And, and typically the House passes the operating budget first, yes. sends it over. The Senate passes the capital budget first, yes. sends it over. And then there's two separate budgets and yes. they, they do these negotiations. Then you got the supplemental, which was packed in there as well. You've got the mental health trust budget, which is usually not very controversial. So yeah, I mean, there's four budgets that are typically done, three of which in this, this year were all packaged together in one budget. So, so, you know, I've talked to you over the years and I've talked to, you know, John Harris, he was a former speaker, a buddy of mine. I've, I've talked to a lot of people that have been around and you were in the majority. I mean, the way this is supposed to work is there's supposed to be, you know, even pretty early on some discussions and some negotiations and there's supposed to be kind of an end game strategy, especially in the second session right. where it's a little more pressure to, you know, cause there's elections happening. Yep. And I mean, it just seems to me that there's a lot of people saying a lot of things, making deals. Sometimes there are other people who should know about the deals don't know. And we're just in this really bizarre. And right now we're, we're doing the podcast and I'm going to try to get this posted before, but it might be after there's a concurrence vote coming up in the house this after this evening. And the way that works this is the budget you guys sent over. They need 21 votes to concur. I've asked a lot of people, I don't think another body has ever concurred with the other, you know, the changes in the budget. They always don't concur and they go to a conference committee. It's never happened in the time that I've been here. But there is a lot of, I mean, I don't think the votes aren't there right now, but it's kind of close it's actually. Close. And there's a lot of pressure to get them to concur, yes. which, which the Senate, I mean, they even said on the floor, I mean, Holland or shower and Machiki, it's, it said, Oh, it's okay. We're going to go to the, we're going to get these things worked out in the conference. Right. They're assuming that what's going to happen. And but, that's, that, but right now there's no, I mean, I think the chances are always very, very low. And now the chances are maybe, you know, 25% when normally they're, you know, 1%. There's a chance. It's, it's usually unheard of. Like the house always, you know, because there's things that, that we put in that they disagree with. There's things that they put in that we disagree with. And so, yeah, you have this conference committee and that's where things are hashed out. Um, it, it would be shocking if they concurred. The, 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 the strategy or the thought from a lot of people who want to full dividend or the big dividend is, if it goes to conference, it's almost certainly going down. And then some of these people with these, you know, these Kelly Merrick and Neil Foster wanted these port projects. So I think there's a concern by a lot of people 
And then the governor, he really wants them to concur because now it's going into election year and it's not just a full dividend, it's a hyper full dividend. It's a 5,500, 5,600. Right, and you've got, and, and if you, I think if you look back historically, what you'll find is that the second year in a redistricting year is, is probably the most loose that legislatures that you have, right? Because you, mm-hmm, have, yep. you got redistricting and you've got a whole bunch of open seats. People aren't coming back. You've got a whole bunch of people who are put together and, you know, all of a sudden running against incumbents, you've got people running in new districts. And so there's a, so the pressure's increased on top of the, you know, the second year is always more intense than the first year because that's all your bills die after the second year. Right. And so you've had bills, maybe that you've spent a year, you know, two years working on, they've gone to this, you know, they're in the last committee in the Senate or in the house and you really want to right right now. There's this elections bill they're talking about. There's this alcohol bill. Machiki has been trying to pass for eight years. There's, the campaign contributions limit bill that it's been sitting in the Senate after it passed. I mean, there are several bills that are, you know, there's a week left. Um, they can extend 10 days with two thirds. I'm not sure if either body has two thirds to do anything other than say, you know, Alaska's awesome. Um, you know, so there, there's, there's that added pressure. But the, the interesting thing is if they did, if they were, and I've heard this in the Capitol, people are talking, this is one of those kind of side door things you have, you have to understand is, they could concur, but the problem is if they if they don't concur, uh, if they could, if they don't concur and there's a conference committee, then things go to this 24 hour rule where all of a sudden you can schedule bills and you can do things in 24 hours instead of instead of a week. But but you could also concur and then adjourn, um, and the governor can actually adjourn the legislature um, if one body says they can't agree, and then he could call a special session, which is a 24 hour rule in play, and he could put all the bills they want back in play. Yeah, I think... Which is, I mean, I'm not sure that's going to happen, but that's another, you there's, know... There's, there's definitely a, a lot of unknowns out there. And it, it a, a huge... Well, it's going to hinge on what happens tonight on the concurrence vote. And I think they probably don't concur, but but who knows? If they concurred, yeah, that's going to throw... I, I think it might be... If, if they don't, it might be like, you know, 18 or 19 or maybe even 20 vote. I mean, yeah, it, it, might, it might fail by like a few votes. Very close. Very close. If it, Yeah. But I, I think it, they'll probably concur. But who knows? Concur or not concur? I'm sorry, not concur. No. Yeah, I think they will not concur. But I mean, this this goes back to kind of this lack of 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 of, of a deal. There's not really a deal in place by the decision because there's really in the Senate, especially. There's not really. I mean, I don't, who's who are the who are the decision so, makers? You know, <laughs> the the last. Um, so back in 2012, we were getting we were kind of in a similar situation, and and uh, Johnny Re- redistricting here redistricting year exactly, and uh, Johnny Ellis was the rules chair on our side. And we had cut a whole bunch of, you know, it, everyone's trying to get their bills passed, right? And so we had, you know, this is a bipartisan majority. We had bills that were important to us. We wanted to get them through. The House had bills that were important to them. They also recognized that it was probably going to be end, the end of the bipartisan majority because the it, the districts were gerrymandered so much that they were going to wipe out, you know, some of the Democrats. That was when I was running as a, as a Tea Party kind oh, of yeah. kind of crazy. I, yeah, I remember those days. <laughs> <For> that, <laughs> a long time ago. Yep, yep. So, uh, so that was that was the last time we went through a redistricting. And it was pretty crazy at the end. And I, I'll tell you, we had cut a deal. Uh, Senator Johnny Ellis had cut a deal where we were um, – we would pass a number of the house bills in exchange for the house passing some of our bills. And we came in and we, we lived up to our end of the agreement. We passed a number of house bills and then the house gaveled out from under us and didn't pass our bills. So yeah. Yeah. That's the other thing I've learned. And this isn't just politics, but it's in life. It's in business. You know, as soon as you break a, break a promise to somebody like that, you can never, you never get that trust back. 
Well, that's true, but no. you know, at that time, it it I think their the theor- their thinking was, well, we don't care because they're not going to be in power next year, and they can't retaliate against us. So yeah, but I mean, that's you know, that's a that's a that's a short game thinking because it is short game, and and uh, I'm not going to mention who it was, but uh, that person is running again, supposedly. Yeah, no, people <laughs> in don't. For, people, you, you have to I mean, not what, forgotten. What, what what what's what's you know what's in life in general, but especially in politics, it's like you know your word is kind of like absolutely that's what you, really, really what people and and something else I learned over the years of being here and watching and observing and you know the, the people who are really really successful um typically are the ones who don't don't ask for too much you know you you incrementally kind of you want something you're reasonable you don't you don't you don't you aren't in power and then getting everything because then people get really mad i think that i think that's largely true but i also think there are some people who i won't name who who get a lot who've been here a long long time and i think you know who i'm talking I about i think i know you're talking about <laughs> who get I mean, there's all, always exceptions who, who but are get, extremely successful at getting virtually everything they want there's always exceptions but but you know g- generally um if you're if you're reasonable and not not uh greedy or not too demand and then sometimes i notice up you know i talk to folks and somebody makes a deal and then they want a little more after they make the deal yeah, oh yeah. That happens. I've uh, I've seen that many times. And people sometimes sometimes you're forced to do it, so then you feel like, you know, I got I got screwed. I had to do it. But then you always in the back of your mind, remember, I mean, you know, they that person screwed screwed me last year or 5 years ago or 10 years ago. Well, and I see this all the time, you know, when I'm not here, I'm I practice law, I'm an attorney. And and the the thing I see all the time is you settle a case, for example, you you come up with a settlement and you could even put it in writing. And then and then a week later or you're going to put it in writing, and then a week later, like, that's not what I meant. <laughs> you know, it's like, well, yeah, that's what you said. Well, that's not what I meant. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and so see this all the time. And, um, and so, you know, there, there's a lot of, there, there, I, I think one of the things in this building is it is, uh, it is critical to keep your word. It is critical to say what you want and mean what you say. And, uh, and that gains you respect in this building. I, 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 I think, I think learning to sometimes not say something is, Oh, important because if you start to make promises many times i've seen people they've told two t- people the opposite thing and then you get into a real problem because you have to break you have to disappoint someone oh I, I you know there there have been people who've run for office in the past i've heard these stories they would they would go you know it, it's easy to get lists and find out who who how, who's pro-choice and who's who's uh, pro-life and and they would go to people's doors in their district, and and w- they would know that the person's pro-choice, and they would say, "Oh, I'm pro-choice," and they would literally tell someone who's pro-life that they were pro. Oh, I mean, they yeah. would literally change their opinion depending on whose door they were talking to. Yeah, you know, I, I, I I've I've learned and I've observed, you know, pe- people. You could say something that is totally antithetical to somebody's views, but you know, I feel like most people, if they know where you are and you're honest with them, the the they like that a lot more than somebody who they don't oh, trust. Catch, it catches up to you. I mean, you it, it, it always, you know, it always, because all it takes is one person to say, well, wait a second, they told me just the opposite. It always catches up. It might take a little while before it catches mm-hmm. up, but it catches up. Yeah, um, speaking of the writing it down, I, I remember three or four years ago when Gabrielle Ledoux was rules chair, they had just organized, and I was talking to her, and she's, she, I heard they, she said, you know, we got it all in writing. And I said, well, I kind of said my reaction at the time was like, why would you, can you just make a deal? And she goes, oh, no, 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 no. You get this shit in writing. Because just what you said, they come back and they say, oh, I thought, I thought th- this was the deal. She's a lawyer. You know, so you get it in writing <laughs> and you sign it and then you know exactly, which, you know, kind of my initial instinct, like I said, was like, look, we, we shake hands, we have a deal. But she goes, no, 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 no. You have to get that stuff written down. 
So people, people can, you can go back and look at it. Well, that's generally a good idea. So, so let's come just last thing here. It's redistricting. You're up for reelection. Um, everybody is except Donnie Olson right now. There's this lawsuit going on with his new Senate pairings. It could maybe affect your district, but right now you've re- retained a pretty decent part of your district, right? Yeah. Your I keep, district. Yeah. I keep probably, I, I haven't looked at the percentage. It's probably 55, 60% of my current district. And then, and then, so I'm at least according to the lines right now, I'm picking up uh, South Muldoon, which, which is, I used to represent a big chunk of that area. And that's an area where I used to win 60, 65%. And then a little further south of that is, is quite frankly, an area I ran for the assembly in years ago and did well in. So I, I think it's, you know, it's a good district. I think it's a, it's an appropriate district. I think Muldoon is, is, you know, it belongs together. Who, who are the, in this situation, is it Snyder and Open? Right, so it, that would be uh, Representative Snyder's area, and and uh, the House District that I'm in would be open. Yeah, yes. yeah. Uh, and then no, this is interesting. Before when you were before 2012, you represented, I think it was part of Eagle River, right? I've never had Eagle River. I used to rep. So when I first got elected, I actually had Mountain View. I went way. It went west, and so I had Russian Jack, which I still have a chunk of, and and it went all the way up into Mountain View. That was great. That was a great district. Um, although the districts changed because when. Uh, Senator Gretchen Guest before me, when she first ran in that district, she she won only by fifty votes, and uh, and I used to win that district by twenty percent. And then, so, so you had a the first time as 06, it was it was yep. the same till twenty twelve. Did yours change again in thir- in fourteen? It changed in twelve, and it became you know a very different. I picked up Jay Bear, I lost Mountain View. It was a much harder district. But they redrew the map again in fourteen because. But of then some, they re- but yeah, it didn't. It, it just took a little bit away from my district. It, it didn't have a big impact on me in that year. And then, um, yeah, this time around, um, it's, you know, we're still waiting to see. So, so in one early iteration, um, and this didn't happen, but I think there was a, uh, a potential situation where you'd be with, with the base, right? I have the base right now, actually. Yeah. I have Do you J- have the base? Oh. I have J-Bear right now, yeah. And that's, you know, they put me in J-Bear because they thought I'd lose that. Oh, I didn't know you had, I thought you had... Like so, it's wrong. So you do have J Bear. I have J Bear. I have the air side of J Bear, which is the majority J Bear. Yep. So, looking at the district, it's it's a bite. It's like a Biden district, or it's a blue district, uh, but it's not. It's not. I mean, it's my you, my current district. Yeah, um, no, the new one. The new the one. New one. Oh yeah, the new one's uh, Biden, like plus seven, I think, or yeah, mm-hmm. somewhere around there. So, so, so you you feel right now? Oh yeah, stays no, the same. I, you feel pretty good about I feel, it. Yeah, it's, I, don't, I don't think you know. It's interesting. Uh, we have this new open primary and the ranked choice, but. Um, some people like Holland is, you know, Giesel and there's Kawasaki with, um, Jim Matherly, but, uh, a whole bunch of the races really don't have any opponents yet or, uh, or any serious opponent. Yeah. I mean, some have kind of like no, no name people nobody's ever heard of, but I mean, Still, like right now, I don't think you have an opponent, do you? I don't have an opponent, but I, 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 mean, I don't know what my Senate district's going to be. So, you know, that, yeah, I mean, they could still... If, redistricting, I guess the court decision is going to come out next week. Yeah, so, the 16th. You know, so, and, then, so if, and then there's an appeal to the Supreme Court. So I don't even know if we'll know what the final is for another week or two at least. So if they but, hold, if they approve, um, or if they if they don't reject the Eagle River pairing with South Anchorage, um, then it stays the same. There could be an appeal, um, and that you know, but ultimately, if it if it stays where it is, uh, it won't change. But if if they do order the Eagle River districts paired then that'll have a cascade cascading effect. And, and that could affect like, like I was before I was with LV Gray Jackson, the district ended up going North. They redid it. And then it went South and now I'm, 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 op- I'm an open 
Tuck, Tuck's running for the seat. Regardless, he was going to run either against LV. Now it's an open district, but but that could change too. So all those oh, districts could yeah, change. Yeah, Anchorage. You know, I don't think the rest of the Anchor, Anchorage is what will change. Um, I don't think anything else changes. But you know, it's. I mean, you're seeing the politics play out, right? I had a. I'm not going to say who it was, but uh, somebody oh, tell made, us. made a made a uh, basically threatened me on the floor today, off before we started and sit on this transgender bill and said, if you vote against this, you're done in Eagle River, if the, if the redistricting board puts you in Eagle River. <laughs> and I just laughed and I said, well, well I, mean, and I the think funny the courts ruled that- that's unconstitutional, number one, but number two, I don't change my votes. I don't violate the constitution based on political expediency. I and the funny thing is this person has no decision whatsoever in any of this. Right, right. It's, it's just, just like up to the kind of courts it, and what, you know. It's like, you know, you're going to threaten me like that's, you don't, you obviously don't know how I react to that thing. It, you know. <laughs> have, have you, you've been here, what, 16 years? You've been here a 16 while. 16 years, yeah. And it seems that you've gotten, I mean, people know your positions on oil taxes and the permanent fund, and but but it seems like you've kind of, especially being in the minority 10 years, you, you, you can impact so much. But if you, I mean, I see a lot of these votes in the committee or in the floor. Um, you know, it'd be, for me, very easy to get angry and frustrated, but you just... It's a big fight and you don't get it and then you just move on. And I mean, is that, is that all, have you always been that way? Have you kind of learned, Hey, look, I, I can't, if you don't have the votes, you don't have the votes and no, you got to move on. It's definitely, you know, I, I used to get when I first started doing, and I, when I first started doing this, yeah, it was more frustrating. I mean, you see, you feel so passionate about an issue and, and you just see it's, it's so clear in your mind that this is wrong. And, um, but you don't have the votes, you know, and I used to have these discussions with Hollis French all the time. We were in, served in the Senate for years together and, he was brilliant. Hollis, Hollis would give these fantastic floor speeches on, and we'd run amendments and he'd run amendments and he'd make this fantastic floor speech. And you're like, well, how could anybody possibly vote against that? And then they would just vote it down party line, you know, or caucus line. And then we would, you know, we sort of joke around like, well, if, you know, if only we had said this or if only we had said that. And then we just sort of laughed like it didn't matter. It doesn't matter. Like there's nothing that you could say under those, you know, we, we, in the old days when people just locked down on caucus lines, there was nothing you could say, literally nothing you could say. You could have the most rational argument, the most persuasive, it just didn't matter. And, and, you know, I, I guess just as an attorney, like you lose cases and, and you're just conflict all day and, and yeah, you just can't let this stuff bother you. I see it bothering people. I see people like taking this stuff personally, like it's not personal. I don't take anything personal. I've, you know, colleagues that I disagree with in my caucus and um, I respect their views. I, you know, on this transgender bill, I, I respect people's views on this. I understand where people are coming from on this. I just think it's unconstitutional. And, and so that's, you know, that's my concern with it, but, but Hey, I don't take it personally that you're, how you're going to vote on this. I don't take it personally on the budget. I don't take any of this stuff personally. You can't, but my job is to come down here and fight for my constituents. That's what everybody's job is. And I don't take that personally at all. You know, just, just vote your conscience. Like Johnny Ellis used to say. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I just seem sometimes, um, especially in the committee, you'll, you'll have a really, you know, passionate kind of debate and you're really for something. And then they vote, they vote it down and, or sometimes you even, they kind of shut you down from speaking maybe as much as you want. And then, and then it gets voted down and you're like, Let's go to the next one. You know, it's <laughs> well, it's, you know, and especially in the Senate. I mean, Alaska has the smallest. The Senate is the smallest legislative body in the United States. You're dealing with these people every day, and you know, probably a lot of them are going to be back next year. And and you know, you just can't burn those and, personal and, and, bridges. And, and sometimes, especially now, we see how fluid it is. But uh, somebody that could really piss you off on one thing, you might the next tomorrow Absolutely. you might need them on something. Absolutely. You know, I I um, over the years I, I worked. You know when. 
Mike Dunleavy was here as a senator. We worked well together. When Bill Stoltz was here, we, don't, we don't worked well the, together. I like Mike radio. Ad yeah, they, they used right, to, right, right, right. Uh, that's when they. Uh, ju- that's when that pack ind- uh, independent pack. They, they Joseph Stalin me out of the picture. So it was me, you, Bill in 2013 when I came down Mike, here. Mike, you mean? Yeah. Or, sorry, me, you, Mike in 2013. And that, that was the only picture I think of you and Mike together. Yeah. And and my friend was Kalen Paxson and yeah. Matt Larkin. They they Joseph Stalin me out of the picture, and I raised hell about it. But yeah. they had the because uh, yeah. you guys worked together on the dividend stuff, and oh. they had the audio of you on the Dave. I think Dave Steering right yeah. saying I, I like Mike. You know, Mike's yeah. a great. <laughs> no, I did. Uh, you know, I liked him. We got along very well, and uh, I just didn't agree with him on. You know, we agreed on a few issues, and we worked on those issues, and the other issues we disagreed on. You know, but overall, I mean. I, yeah, so I'm, I could be careful what I say, so it's not used against me. <laughs> yeah, <it was laughs> next could be on the radio next. Yeah, next, exactly. Next in the fall, but um, but no, I you know in this job, like it, I think that's something that has changed over the years a little bit. Is people, you know, the partisanship has gotten so extreme, the polarization has gotten so extreme. Like, yeah, even just in the last few years, I mean, we Mike's office was you know, two doors down from mine. We used to talk all the time. We used to sit in our offices and discuss, you know debate sort of the philosophy of the dividend and debate like how we're going to pay for this. And, and, and we had different, you know, we, we both agreed we wanted a dividend for the, for people, but we just had different ways of getting there. And, um, you know, we just agreed, well, we're going to put those issues aside and we're just going to try to do what we think is best for our constituents. But yeah, no, that you you can't take this stuff personally. What what, what do you think about, you know, this has been increasingly um, more common in the last several years with this happens on, on like all sides with social media, but, but specifically in the Senate majority, I mean, some of their members are really vocal on social media and the radio. And I remember I first ran in 2012 and I just didn't even know anything that was really happening other than what you read in the newspaper because nobody ever really talked publicly um, about this stuff. They, they talk about the issue. They talk about some big issue, the, the budget or something. But now it's like you can turn on the radio or you can go on the Internet and you can see people say really charged up things. Mm-hmm. Social and, media. And pe- people hear it. People hear it. They hear about it. They either listen to it themselves or they hear about it. Their colleagues. Oh, social media has changed things tremendously because now, you know, it used to be, it used to be that you could go out. Well, you'd have to have a press conference. If you wanted to get your message out, you'd have a press conference and, you know, you'd go up there and you'd have all the, all, you know, people in your caucus and you'd take questions from the press and it'd be on gavel to gavel. When's the last time you saw a press conference? So I was actually complaining about that because right now, since the beginning of session, this session, there's been one Senate majority press conference on the fir- like the first week. The House majority has done zero press conferences. What they do is they have these kind of press, they call them press availabilities, and they take questions. But it's not the same. I mean, I think I think the public actually deserves to see you know reporters and journalists asking them questions that they have because because otherwise they don't really have to answer to anybody other than maybe the voters or you know if it's a town hall or something. But when when you ask them a question on TV when it's saved forever. They have, they have to answer. And right now, I think there's a lot of things they can't really provide answers for, so they don't they don't want to do it. And, right. And, you know, it's the, the fourth estate, the press. They Their job is to hold the politicians accountable. You know, why'd you vote that way? What, what, what's your position on this? And now what you see instead is people going to their base, going right to their supporters and, and going on Facebook Live or, you know, tweeting something. And, and it, it, and they're, there's very little give and take. There's very, you know, there's no one objective sitting there saying, well, why did you vote for that budget the way it was? And, and I remember, uh, um, what was that guy's name? Bob Tkach? Was that his? Oh yeah. I'm, oh yeah. Bob. I just, I didn't ever know him, but I saw him on, I used to watch him on those press. They used to have the much more common yeah. press, you know, they have much more frequently press yeah. conferences. And he was like, that guy was rabid. He was a lion. He was, a, he was a lion. I mean, he was fearless. He'd come in 
and you know, kind of mild mannered. He, I think he wore a Grateful Dead uh, pin, pin on, on mm-hmm. his on his jacket. Good guy, a really good guy. And just uh, you know, he he didn't make a lot of money. He didn't care about that. He just cared about you know the truth and getting getting the story out and uh, telling. Yeah, he'd get he'd get full on com- combative sometimes. Well, he would he you know if you didn't answer his questions or you try to avoid him. Oh yeah, he would he would definitely. I had in fact uh, I remember. You, one of my first years, um, we, we we were in a Senate Resources Committee hearing, and and the chairman and I was a freshman, and the, and the chairman broke, you know, we, we took an at ease and we went into the lounge, and came out, and um, and I think we just you know went in and you know we had a long day and we were people just wanted to get something to eat and it, you know we're gone for five or ten minutes, and I had a reporter come to me, I won't say who it was, but. Uh, they're not, they don't report anymore. But anyway, he, he asked for an interview from office and he just grilled me. What did you talk about in the lounge? Why'd you take that break? What did you say? Who, who you know? Mm. And, um, and it, at first I, I was just kind of shocked. I was like, well, he's doing his job. I mean, you know, I don't, I'm not going to hold that against him. He's asking tough questions. Like, that's well, that's job. the thing that, you know, now we have with Trump and the fake news and you know, this whole, you know, a lot of people don't trust the media and look, there's some, there's some good reasons for that. Um, but but I, I think the media is very I mean, there's a long history in this country of, of of obviously the First Amendment and things have always been messy and there used to be partisan newspapers but I mean a lot of folks I deal with up there I mean I really just think they they just don't they just hate the media and they don't want to they don't want to talk to them they don't want to answer questions and they think if you you know if you tell if you report something they said or did and and, and that's con- that's con- right. contradictory to a position they take they get like it's like your it's like my fault if. Or it's right. the fault of the reporter who said, it's, honestly, say this person did this and then said this and voted on this. Well, these are different things. You know, if you cast a vote on something, your job as a legislator is to defend it. Your job is to legis- as a legislator is to explain it to your constituents. And 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 you should be able to do that. I mean, that is, and, and hopefully you would have, your constituents would understand you. That's, you know, we have a republic. We don't have a strict democracy. We don't have people sitting at homes, you know, voting on every issue. They send us down here to represent their views. And our Part of our job is to go back and explain it. Say, this is, I voted on this and it, it's politically unpopular, but here's why I did what I did. Well, that's, that's the, um, I'll, you know, I read uh, Long Walk to Freedom. I mean, there's different, people have different thoughts on leadership and styles of leadership, but, but Mandela, you know, when he, when he got out of jail and then he be, later became president um, and all of his, his friends and the guys who took over, um, actually this was before he was president, after apartheid ended, there was a legitimate um, call for kind of civil war and score settling and, retribution and he knew like he, he explained that was wrong that was not going to move the country forward they had to move on they had to reconcile and they had to they had to have this process but he explained you know um sometimes a leader has to explain to the people you know why they're wrong and, and what the what the right that's leadership you know other people have a different view where it's like well just what whatever they want we should do but but sometimes what they want is it's bad you know i mean you have the what three wolves and a sheep voting on what to eat yeah, that's democracy through wolves and a sheep deciding on what for dinner. And uh, and so, yeah, I mean, you know, we have our constitution in place to protect minorities. I mean, that that is, you know, we protect fundamental rights. And a lot of the a lot of times those rights are not popular. You know, I was reading a story recently about John Adams, uh, one of the president of the United States many you know, hundreds of years ago. And uh, and after the Boston Tea Party, there was a uh, group of British soldiers who were surrounded by mm. some of the protesters and shots were fired. And uh, what he f- and they came to him and asked, because they couldn't get an attorney. No attorney would represent these, these people. And he, and he did. And he did. And he got them off. And, and he got them off. And, uh, well, two got convicted of manslaughter, but their charges were 
you know, it was, it, you know, it would have been murder for all six. And and his rationale, well, he, he 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 showed that the mob kind of incited it. Yeah, yeah. So I mean, can you think of something more politically unpopular at the time, right? Than you're defending the British soldiers in a massacre that killed Americans, right? Wildly unpopular. But he, you know, through the through the trial, he was able to show what was wrong that it really didn't play out the way it was, and and he was able to explain to the people the way it was, and 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 he earned the respect. And that was a huge, that was a hugely important case for. I think our democracy for our Republic at the time, because it showed people like, look, we have an, an unbiased, you know, d- judicial system. That's the way our system works is, you know, regardless of how passionately you feel about a bill and, and then I come back to these, these social issues, like, you know, we hate they're, they're uncomfortable on the floor and they're uncomfortable a lot of times to, you know, to discuss them a lot of times to, to vote on them. But, you know, I say follow the constitution. Like if the constitution is clear on this, I know, you know, we have this debate on abortion all the time and we had the Medicaid, you know, funding for abortion. And, and I know a lot of people disagree with that. There've been four cases on that, that have gone to the Supreme court and multiple cases on this issue. And, and every one of them has ruled it's unconstitutional. And so, you to, know, to, to not fund it. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it. you know, and I know people may disagree with that. I respect that. I respect your position on abortion the court has ruled on that. And, and people are like, Oh, well, Roe versus Wade, that's going to change. Everything. No, this is, this is there. People need to understand this is, we have federal constitution and you have state constitution and Alaska's constitution is much more broad than the federal. Well, constitution. And, and this is why, you know, I understand when people are, are nervous and, and, you know, the pro the big pro choice people are, I mean, I think it's reasonable to say this overturning Roe is kind of, you know, but, but it's not, it doesn't end abortion in the country. And um, in fact, Alaska was one of, I think five states that ended abortion before Roe in 1970, or sorry, legalized abortion before born 1970. We have this privacy clause. So, I mean, it ain't going to affect Alaska. I mean, as Texas and some states have these snapbacks. And I think it's like Michigan I was reading has a 19, a snapback law in 1931 where it's like fully illegal. And then other states have different kind of, you know, so yeah, in some states it's going to be, if it happens, back. it's going to, but it's not here. Yeah, that's right. Um, it's not here. And at least not now. Not now. Yeah, and, it could, and, you know, could change. It, it is, you know, that decision is, um, I think the thing that bothers me most about that, you know, and we'll see what happens when it finally comes out, but, but for at least four of the justices who voted in favor of overturning it testified before Congress that they wouldn't overturn it. I mean, that's the thing that. Well, I think they said it was settled or, I mean, they said if you go back law, law, they said it was precedent. They said, you know, Neil Gorsuch said it was the law of the land. I mean, you had some pretty clear uh, statements that were made. You had some others who were, you know, a little dodgy. But go back and look at look at the exact. But I mean, these, these these aren't directly. I mean, I'm not saying these are directly comparable. But I mean, we used to have segregation, and we used to have separate but equal, and we used to, and you know, those were settled, and then we we unsettled them. So I mean, there's there, you can you can. I mean, it's not unprecedented you can, you can to, to change say that was wrong. Like you, you can do it. You know, all these if, if you testify, slavery. if you testify in Congress that you're you're not going to do it. If you testify in Congress that it's settled law. And, uh, and then you, you know, go ahead and say, well, it's not set a law and nothing's really changed. That, that troubles me. I mean, that really troubles me. It's, it's, uh, I mean, it's just, it's just, this is just another, this, this leak, you know, um, and what you're talking about. And, you know, I think some of them used very tricky wording and, and, um, they have, you know, this kind of out that, well, it was settled at the time or whatever, but, um, with this leak and, and with something, what you're talking about, it's, um, oh my God, that bird almost but that bird was going to fly into the room here. I have the windows open. It's hot outside. But um, the the institute, the just the kind of breakdown in the trust in institutions, whether it's the FBI yeah. or the right. Department of Justice or whatever, you know, now it's the Supreme Court. I mean, the Supreme Court's like one of the things you think is just 
that's above everything, right? Because that's just the, the, the highest level of institution. And now it's like people are like, oh my God, they're leaking, they're leaking internal documents. You look at the, yeah, you look at the, you know, the favorability ratings and they've plummeted for the Supreme Court. But I remember when I was in law school and thinking, you know, going in, young, eager lawyer, you know, law student thinking, well, the law's the law. And, and you know, we're just going to follow the Constitution. And then, <laughs> you know, it, it was it was kind of a shock for me as this naive person coming in and thinking the law is the law. And it's there. It's so, oh much, god, so the, much politics. The bird. Is, oh my god, the bird. Did you see that? It flew in and then it flew out. You see these <laughs> pigeons? Sorry, it was you couldn't see it was behind you, but yeah. sorry about that. Jesus, yeah. damn birds. Are... <laughs> but um, but yeah, it's it's you know it's so much of these decisions are are becoming extraordinarily political. Well, I think it's you know this is going to be every year they they always say oh maybe it changes next year, but I mean you could you know, maybe be in the majority again. Who knows? Uh, see, Never see say it. never. You know, I, when, when we became in the majority, people thought it was impossible. They thought that was Lida Green, right? That was, was Tuckerman Babcock's that, mother-in-law. Yep. That was President Lida Green. Yep. And, uh, and people thought that was impossible. In fact, we had members of the minority who went on the record and said, I'm not unpacking my bags because I know we're, you know, I'm not unpacking my office because I know we're going to be moving. And uh, it was lasted for six years. So um, anything's possible. Well, Bill, I think I, I'm, I know you're busy, but thanks for coming by and doing this. It Absolutely. was, uh, we got a little bit lucky. They, they tabled their own, uh, Senator Hughes tabled the bill, her tra- the transgender bill, so that might come back up. But we're, um, I mean, we'll see what the House does tonight. And then if they don't concur, then there's the conference. And then we're, you know, a week out. And and I'll say one more thing. There, there's there's no guarantee that if this thing changes enough, it still, ha- it still has to get 21 and 11 right. votes to pass the That's legislature. Right. That's right. So, and then this effective date could be, you know, that could be a factor. But um once you start cutting things, once you start changing things, then you start losing votes. So, uh, yeah. I mean, if, if, if the dividend gets substantially reduced, or, I mean, you, you, you could potentially be a no vote, right? I mean, it's... You know, I never say, you know, we'll see what the final product is. Um, I, I, would, I don't think, you know, I, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't want, I wouldn't shut down government over one particular issue. I mean, I just don't, I, I, look, we've got a state to run. We've got, you know, t- hundreds of thousands of people that rely on us. We've got tourists that rely on us. We've got you know, fishing industry, all, all these industries that rely on. I, I, I'm very, very hesitant to shut down government. I mean, it's, that's something I don't even want to think about. So we've got a lot of time. I, I you know, we'll just see what the final. A week in politics like. is Well, we've got a, a week and then, you know, hopefully we're done next Wednesday. But, um, but yeah, I, I think we're, you know, we're going to, you know, we'll, we'll get it fixed. And, and uh, I think we'll get 2111 in the end and, and hopefully get out of here. Well, Senator Wilkowski, thanks again. I always like talking to you and, um, you're up for re-election this year. We, we, you think you know your district, but that might change. So, um, yeah, I guess you got to start yeah, after we'll ju- June 1st. You got to start cam- campaigning somewhere. Yeah. No, thanks. Glad to be on. Yeah, appreciate it. Okay. Thanks. We'll talk to you again, Senator Wilkowski. Uh, folks, if you have an idea for a podcast or want to do a podcast, get a hold of me and stay tuned for the next one. Landline.